Hi there. I'm Michael Marvash, and this is The Dead Man's Forest, a weekly conversation about existence, meaning, and how sharing the unique lessons that each of us has learned in our lives can help other people live better, more fulfilling lives. Last week in DMF24, you'll recall that we talked with Jason Young about his thoughts on how we should move through our lives based on his experiences on his own vision fast and on the master's thesis he wrote after returning from the desert. After we finished talking about that, I wanted to ask Jason how he would be putting these lessons into practice in his own life. His answer was short and to the point. And then, to my surprise, he had a question for me. Did me want to ask you, like, um, what's what's next for you? What do you think you'll try and embody in your life next to either act on these lessons or learn more about them? You yep. Yeah, I'll be starting a teaching a class in January and uh, continuing with my writing. Actually, thinking about pulling together these ideas into a larger project, whether it's a book or a or a longer paper, as it remains to be seen. And as far as personally, I just continue to to do the work that I think is important in terms of what I was saying earlier, that critical self-reflection of assumptions, um, meditation to sort of detach from those automatic responses you have to the world and and just see where it leads. Because like you said, you don't know where that goes. I mean, yeah. it's clearly kind of directed um, in my direction, but I'd like to also hear more. Like what I want to actually ask you, is that okay? You want me to, can I ask you something? Turn it around a bit. Uh, yeah. Do you want to, yeah, recording? just keep recording. Um, yeah, I just wanted to ask you kind of what I was alluding to earlier, how, you know, this creative space opens up when you realize that you live in a socially constructed reality and, and what to do with that idea. And I mentioned that I had come to sort of, the great, tr- the great revealed truths of religion in terms of these ways of being in the world mm. as opposed to prescriptions of how to live. And I kind of wanted to mm. ask you as someone who, I'm not sure what the right word is, but maybe wrestles with some of the ideas in Christianity, do you feel any resonance in that idea? Do you, what's your perspective um, there from, from, that, from that perspective? On the recording, as I was editing it, Jason's question was followed by about 15 seconds of silence. I wasn't quite sure whether or not Dead Man's Forest was the channel for me to have the kind of conversation that he was asking for. I'm still not sure whether it is. And so of all of the conversations that I have released, I think this is the one of which I'm least certain. But since I want Dead Man's Forest to be a place where challenging conversations are had without flinching, I decided to use the conversation that Jason and I had anyway. Here's how I answered. Okay, I am not a great scholar of the different religions of the world. Uh, I have a, a lot of personal experience with Christianity and a lot of knowledge of 
because of my education and upbringing, I have a lot of knowledge of the Bible and specifically Lutheran theology and dogma. And based on that limited perspective, it seems to me that Christianity is a bit of a unique religion in the world in that it has its roots in Judaism, which seems to be a, at least in the way that it was expressed in the Old Testament, a religion that, like many, it, like it seems many of those religions that came out of the Middle East in, in that time period of, you know, whatever, 6,000 years ago or so, the religions seemed to have as their goal the continued existence of their cultural group. They were, they were cultural religions. The, the Semites had their religion of Judaism, and, you know, there was the, 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 they talked about the Baal worshippers and the Amalekites and the Philistines, and I assume all of them had their own religions. You know, God is on our side. We have to do these things in order to please God. And if we do those things, then we will become mighty. Mm -hmm. Right? That was not, at that point, Christianity. That was, that was the religion of the Jews. Jesus happened to have been a Jew. And, and I think that there's this really complicated thing that happened where Jesus was... Jesus, I think, perceived some of those bigger truths that you mentioned in that, you know, like perhaps, I, I'm not quite sure how to say it. Uh, maybe something like love is one of the, you know, primal forces of the universe or something mm -hmm. like that. Um, you know, the, the, the profound experiences that we have as living beings um, and the value of those. And, and, and I felt, I feel like the things that, that, that Jesus perceived uh, or, or noticed or recognized or similar to some of the things that, that the Buddha did. Just just kind of profound truths about what it means to exist. And so that would, that's like a second layer on Christianity. You know, it started with Judaism and then, and then Jesus, who was a Jew. And so now you have this whole history of Judaism, which is a cultural religion, moving to this one man's idea about what, it means to be human and how to, I don't know, how to be good, maybe, I'm not sure. But now, Christianity has been, it seems to me, further, I think the word that's coming to my mind is bastardized, but I really don't, I, it's, it has such a negative connotation, and I don't mean to give it such a negative mm -hmm. connotation. Um, and that Christianity, many Christians still seem to be stuck on the behaviors and the sin that came from that Jewish tradition of this is what we need to do to keep ourselves alive as a cultural entity. That they miss the point of Jesus' message. That's, that's what I feel. They miss the point of Jesus' message, which was love people, treat them with kindness, don't be a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> kind of thing and and instead they get very focused on what you are doing is sinful uh, because of the because of the theology of Christianity that was developed first by the Catholic Church 
over the you know 1500 or so years following the death of Jesus in which and in, in which theological and dogmatic work was continued by Luther and Calvin and Zwingli during the Reformation in Europe uh, where where they tried to reconcile the very rule-based Jewish religion of the Old Testament with the fact that Jesus was such an influential figure who said such powerful things, who was killed, and then, and again, this is, you know, my interpretation of it, who, who, who you know, I don't think he rose from the dead because I don't think anybody ever has, um, but that's the story that they told themselves. That's how they fit what happened into into their understanding of, of what Christianity was. Well, I guess it wasn't called Christianity then about what, what religion was, which was a set of rules that you had to follow else you got punished. Anyway, how long did I talk there? <laughs> Eight minutes? <laughs> um, and I don't know how much I said. No, that, um, I think it's really rich, actually. I think that it's totally apropos to what we're talking about as well, insofar as maybe the Judaic approach to normative ethics is maybe more what we're talking about in terms of that sort of reductive, rational approach to reality where through thinking you can determine what is right or wrong. And I obviously, I, I don't, I know nothing about this sort of Judaic history, so I don't want to mischaracterize anything, but in terms of this conversation and perhaps as the, as Jesus being um, more a modality of revelation, which yeah. is sort of super, super or supra rational and kind of is not really amenable to that same sort of deconstruction and, and reductive analysis. Right. Yeah. It's hard to say. Yeah. It's hard to say like Jesus thought this was right and here's why, you know, it, it was. And, and yet I, I, even now I, I, I'm looking at him and his messages through the lens of, of how I look at the world now. Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, probably the way I was taught was that Jesus was not any of it was was very little of that was that jesus came and lived a, a sinless life so that he could be the perfect sacrifice for those of us who lived sinful lives and hmm. that's what it took for us to us uh miserable <laughs> sinful filthy awful beings mm -hmm to be made right in the eyes of a perfect God. Hmm. Um, but yeah, now I, I just, I don't think that story holds much water for lots of reasons. And, and I, I, t I tend not to talk about them because I don't, I don't want to argue religion with people, you know, like, I don't think there's any value in it mm -hmm. um, because if I say something that make, that closes someone off, then 
Yeah. And I don't feel like I've done good by them either. Mm. So, yeah. I don't know. It's it's interesting to hear you say, to use the word argue in that sense, because it can be difficult to have a more controlled, you know, uh, non-emotional, I guess, conversation about, about religion, because for many people, they hold, well, everyone has their reasons why, um, it's difficult to challenge those types of ideals, but I'm just kind of, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was going to say in some ways it's like, you know, like, I mean, if someone is threatening your life, uh, you get defensive and, and emotional about that and understandably so. And when you're talking about the religions that some people believe in, you're not threatening someone's life. You're potentially threatening their eternal life. Right. And how much more important is that to them? Right. And what are the consequences to them of letting go of that idea potentially? Yeah. So yeah. to even entertain the notion that that might not be true is like, whoa, right. hands off. Yeah. It, it's difficult. That's a difficult place to go. Yeah. But uh, it's it's kind of too bad in some ways. I mean, it's it's obvi- it's understandable, obviously, but it's there's so much rich discourse and storytelling and philosophy in in the Bible and in these religions that right. it's kind of too bad that in a lot of cases it can't be, you know explored in the same way as philosophy philosophy somehow seems a moral or not anymore it seems a a religious but really it's it's quite religious in a lot of ways and religion is quite philosophical and i don't always see the difference i'm sure a lot of people have written some very clever things about it but yeah so i don't know anyway um like what what uh what made you ask that what were you were you curious about my thoughts or what yeah, I just uh, I know that you you brought up some of your your ideas around Christianity and your relationship with Christianity while we were in the desert, and I was just curious hmm. from that perspective what how you how you sort of understood those those more fundamental yeah. revealed truths and ways of being. Yeah. Right. I. I. Yeah. It just wasn't. It wasn't a part of my childhood, you know. So I. I because I was. Because I was raised in such a traditional conservative Christian household, it was very much steeped in like uh, this is this is sinful. I mean, the one good thing that I would say I got from my religion that I think it that I think does touch on one of those um, bigger, more uh, I, don't, I don't know what to call it, maybe experiential truths mm-hmm. is that um, God loves you and and your relationship with him is entirely due to is not due to your deserving of the relationship but because he loves you so hard (laughs) right and and that um and that it is his grace that enables you to have a relationship with him and so i think that that there is a lesson in that for how we can Mm relate to each other as human beings and we say that you know none of us are perfect and we all have big problems and yet 
we can give one another enough grace to enable us to continue to have a relationship. And actually, as I was saying that, I was thinking maybe that is a, the case with the, the, the world that we are a part of as well, is that we can have a relationship with it as well. I don't, I don't know. Not like that's that. something we're lacking? Is that kind of what you're getting at? Yeah, like, right. We see the world as something, I'm going to use the word beneath us, like, like you said, we see the world as something to serve us and not as something to have a relationship with. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now we're synthesizing some ideas here for sure. You know, uh, Gregory Bateson, he's a systems thinker, philosopher. He reinterprets the story of the Garden of Eden. Uh -huh. When Eve sees the apple, it's her desire and her rational mind seeking to obtain the apple that is what expelled them from the garden of eden because the human rational intellect is fundamentally at odds with the way nature actually works and for him he sees that as being the central problem of our time that our minds work in a different mode than how nature works. Right. It doesn't have to, but that's largely right. how our culture's mind works. Yeah, our minds, yeah, our minds don't have to do that. It's just something that they're capable of. At this point in the conversation, I told a similar story of my own, but I was mumbling a little too much, and so I decided to cut it out. I related the alternative creation story that Jason told to a similar one that I had read in a book called Ishmael by Daniel Quinn, one of the most influential books I have ever read, by the way, in which Quinn characterizes the fall of Adam and Eve as being when human beings invented agriculture, the taking of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil and the eating of it was when we took such firm control over our food supply that we essentially removed the choice from the gods on when we live and when we die. And we took it into our own hands. And that choice, Quinn says, is the knowledge that human beings should not possess and which rightly belongs in the hands of the gods. In his view, it was agriculture. And a lot of thinkers actually put the dawn of agriculture as the beginning of the ecological crisis. Right. Because again, it comes back to that idea of how much should we be changing the environment to suit our needs versus changing our needs to suit the environment. Yeah. And I don't, I guess, I guess I'm realizing now that I hear you say that again, changing our needs to suit the environment, that I'm not sure that makes sense to me. Because it's really just the, the inverse of the statement, changing the environment to suit our needs. But really, it seems to me that what we're talking about in, in terms of just embodying awareness and participating in the experience of being, that 
we, man, I, <laughs> I'm a little uncomfortable with what I'm going to say right now. Uh, mm -hmm. But I'm going to say that we don't reach too far. Mm. Mm. What do you mean? Like in a, like, are you talking about hubris, like a hubristic kind of? I'm talking about like in the way that we ought to live our lives, that we, that, that almost like the way that, that, that we, mm. <sighs> Again, it's 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 impossible to talk about these things without using words that I don't really mean. Because because what I'm going to say is that we ought to live a certain way, and I don't actually mm. mean ought to. I mean that we. I think what I mean is that we were created to live. In the same way that the that an animal lives, we go when we get hungry, we go find some food and eat it. That we don't plan too far ahead maybe mm. you know that we live in the moment and that when we're planning too far ahead when we're telling ourselves stories about what our futures will be that we are yeah i don't know i, I that, that 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 process we are engaging in something that other living things can't do mm -hmm. like, like a squirrel might store nuts for the winter but it doesn't really it, it doesn't seem to be telling itself a story about what's going to happen that winter and what's going to happen next spring, you know? Mm -hmm. And it doesn't know that it's going to die, presumably. Right. And that's what makes it another because, because and maybe that's why I'm so uncomfortable with it is because a lot of the, a lot of the work that I've been doing recently with, with myself and my own life in the Dead Man's Forest is about storytelling. It's about how we are the stories that we tell ourselves. And, you know, I, I'm such a great admirer of Joseph Campbell's work and mythology and uh, how the stories that we tell ourselves reveal things about the human psyche. But what if the stories are the problem? What if the stories are the, the, re the, the reason that was the apple? Mm -hmm. And what if truly living... Uh, in harmony with our environment requires us to let those stories go. I think that is sort of what we're experiencing right now as a culture is there are a lot of stories that we need to let go of. And it's a difficult process because it involves that ambiguity we were talking about earlier. It involves the mourning of the loss of those stories. Yeah. And it also opens up that sort of awesome and terrifying creative space of wow where are we going now right yeah hearing you say that i definitely feel a deep sadness about that and yeah it's um it's the same kind of fear it's like like a, in, in me the fear of death as much as i have it i don't feel like i fear death itself as much as i fear uh, the unknown of it. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's, mm -hmm. um, it's unknowable. It's not just unknown, it's unknowable. And so is this to let go of 
all of our cultural stories without having something to replace them is is like a death. Hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Ooh. And on that note, <laughs> everything ends with death. <laughs> of course. It's perfect. Thanks for talking with me and thanks for giving us a chance to record that and, and share with my listeners. So I really hope they get something out of it. Yeah, that was my pleasure. Believe me. And if you want to have another conversation, I'm, I'm always open. Thanks for listening to the conclusion of my conversation with Jason Young. If you're interested in getting in touch with him or perhaps in reading his thesis, please reach out to me on my website, deadmansforest.org. Jason's not a public figure, so I want to be very careful about giving his information out publicly, but I would be happy to connect you with him if you ask. That's the end of today's conversation. I hope you enjoyed it and got something out of it. Thanks for being here. I'm excited to share next week's episode with you as the challenging conversation with Jason and some of the follow-up conversations that I had with friends and family really helped me to figure out how to articulate some of the conclusions that I have based on our conversation. I hope you will join me again next week in the Dead Man's Forest. But for now, bye-bye.